Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. The Major Spoilers podcast is sponsored by the Bat and Wolf webcomic. It's hot fuzz meets the howling as wooden stakes and silver bullets fall in suburbia. Visit zeros2heroes.com for more Bat and Wolf. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course spoilers, and we will go into detail about the topics we discuss. So if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. This time around, we've said goodbye to 2008, and we're ready to kick off 2009 with good news for Mark Miller fans, bad news for Wizard, the hunt's getting wild, a trinity gets broken, worlds collide, the dead walk, vampires among us, dogs and cats living together, total chaos. Plus, who will voice Hal Jordan? Which metallic naked guy is better? What evil lurks on the high seas? And how many sentences will Matthew actually finish before Stephen takes over for him? The world may never know. You bring the chips, we got the fish, and I don't think he's paper trained. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Well, hello, welcome back everybody to another fun and exciting week here at Major Spoilers. Man, it's been a, <laughs> <laughs> it has been a crazy week. I don't know, since the new year... I know we're getting close to some of the first conventions of the season, but we mm-hmm. have just had a plethora of news spilling all over the website this past week. Some of it good, some of it bad, some of it mm, maybe you're indifferent on. Such some as the of news it you have a decision and decide whether it's good or bad. Such as the news that Wizard World is closing two of its shows, well, officially postponing Wizard World LA. And canceling Wizard World Texas. Wow. Mm. Any thoughts, concerns? I mean, neither neither show has been doing very well the last couple of years. I think uh, Wizard World LA really started to go into the toilet once they moved out of the Long Beach Convention Center and up to the uh, LA Convention Center, which really, LA Convention Center is right in the middle of scary town. Long Beach isn't any better, I mean, but come on. I mean, uh, uh, not a great place to hold a, a nerd convention. Uh, mm. Wizard World Texas... Th- just didn't have as many numbers. Last year they merged with like some terror festival, some horror thing to try to bring in numbers. And that kind of worked. But I'm wondering if it's the economy that's doing this, if it's uh, problems that are going on at Wizard. I mean, if you've been following many other websites, I I usually don't report on on Wizard's goings-on on the site unless it's something like this. But apparently they've been having some issues with their publishing side, people getting laid off, things getting rearranged. Who knows what's going on? Matthew, Rodrigo? Well, I think um, for a while now, all all of last year and even a little bit before that, um, people had started to say, you know what? There are too many conventions. There are just way too many cons out there. And I think much like back in the back, you know, what, 10 years ago, like all the uh, big um, music festivals like Lollapalooza and Horde and everything just killing themselves because there were too many of them. Mm. I think it's happening to the cons right now. 
What cons are the important cons, Matthew, do you think? San Diego, obviously. Um, I would say to some degree, uh, what's the one in Chicago? Is that now a Wizard World? Wizard World Chicago. Chicago. That one they're keeping, and they're also keeping Wizard World Philly. But all the rest uh, of the ones, they used to have one in uh, Boston. They used to have one in Atlanta. They tried to, it seemed like just a few years ago that Wizard was trying to take over all of the conventions, and it kind of backfired on them. Well, and that's the thing about, you know, I've been reading off and on and hearing things about the state of Wizard. And some of them are obviously former staffers spreading, you know, rumors, whatever. Right. Some of it seems like, you know, Wizard is in a point where they're they're transitioning. And I think the problem that they're having is they're transitioning from even, you know, even now, if you read Wizard magazine, they've been transitioning for probably the last couple, three years, trying to stop being a hobby magazine and trying to break into more of a um, a major mass media sort of thing, covering more, you know, television shows, covering right. – it, it, it infuriates me when Wizard has the guide for comics and then puts Lost on their covers – well, and not only that, I mean, they changed the whole format of the magazine as far as size goes, from the comic book size to the magazine size to compete right. on the on that shelf space, too. Mm-hmm. And I think um, there's there's kind of a there's a dichotomy right now in in what Wizard actually is, and I think the 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 conventions, you know, being postponed or canceled or whatever, have a little bit to do with. The behind-the-scenes changes. They're trying to transition from a magazine from a niche market to being something like, you know, the the honestly, the comparison that I keep making is they're trying to be what Maxim was ten years ago, yeah. to some degree, to where they have you know the the girls to ogle and they have a, a full range of things that might entertain the eighteen to thirty-five year old male, mm-hmm. and not a whole lot to entertain anyone who's not an eighteen to thirty-five year old male. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love Maxim. I still have a few issues floating around the house, but <laughs> hidden away to me. Uh, no, <laughs> I keep them somewhere. Uh, well, the no question one... is, what what conventions are you guys most interested in? I was really thinking, and I was, uh, you know, I was thinking that Wizard World Texas might be a good place for major spoilers to set up a booth and and hawk our wares and talk to people. But you know, that's kind uh, of blown out. That's, of the window. That's probably what killed it. Wizard probably. got wind of that, and they yeah. were like, "Oh no, no, we got to stop this." <laughs> They heard we were interested, and man, it's all over. The problem with a lot of these shows is we're in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So unless it's Planet Comic Con up in Kansas City or something that's going on in Denver, uh, Chicago is kind of a, a trek to make, especially in the in, in the time period that it's going on. And uh, Texas would have been probably the easiest one because we just shoot down that corridor, and we would have been there. Mm-hmm. San Diego is a nightmare to go to, and it's not one that I would want to go to to be an exhibitor. I would kind of agree with that. I think, for me, I don't have a huge interest in conventions. The The conventions that I have gone to have always been relatively small affairs. And I go to um, Planet Comic Con in Kansas City, and I right. go to you know, the, the KC. Uh, I can't remember the name of it now. I think it's just the KC Comic Con. Yeah. But, you then know, there's the what one that's that the, basically... Uh, have you gone to the Kansas Free Con or whatever it is? Yeah, the, the Freecon in Lawrence. Yeah. yeah, I've been there several times. But uh, to me, there's there's kind of a, a threshold, an event horizon for me of how big an event can get before it starts to bug me. Hmm. 
And for all intents and purposes, I really kind of am a Midwestern boy because when I go to, say, you know, Kansas City or when I go somewhere and they're they're like, it's a 35-minute wait for a table at the Sizzler, (laughs) I'm like, you know, (laughs) screw that. I wouldn't wait 35 minutes. You know, I wouldn't wait 35 minutes on a Saturday night in the busiest restaurant in town here because it it, it does not interest me. And I think that when I go to Planet Comic Con and it's, what, a couple – Oh, it's what, maybe – Couple of those, maybe, yeah, about a hundred tables. Yeah, maybe a thousand yeah. people. Yeah, where I can wander around and I can find tales of the zombie number eight without you know feeling like I'm being crushed. And you know, it, I took my daughter a couple three years ago. She was in a baby carriage, mm-hmm. and you know, we ran around and she was fine because yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of traffic. I didn't ever feel like she was you know in any danger. Um, she sat there. We met mm-hmm. Steve Gerber. Whatever. But, I mean, if I were to go to San Diego, it would be an, an enormous schmageggy. It would be an affair. It would be something where I'd be, you know, dropping a ton of money just yeah. to get there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I'd be braving the crowds and spending time. And, you know, it just seems like a whole lot more effort than the whole thing is really worth. Well, maybe we'll have to do our own major spoilers mini convention or something in the next year. You know who we could invite? Who would that be? Super Mario. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving right along. Who's a who's a fan of Mark Miller? I am to a degree. Me too, to a degree. Rodrigo, to a degree. Okay, so what's this news about uh, in uh, the latest My Cup of Joe over at MySpace with Joe Casada? He's talking about a brand new Fantastic Force written by Mark Miller himself. What the f was uh, Fantastic no, Force even? Thing. No, Fantastic Force. Matthew, spill us a little bit about Fantastic Force, because I'm sure you read this from 94 to 96. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic Force was a spinoff of Fantastic Four, which I believe, and I can tell you that I believe this because I just put a big run of it in the 50 Cent Man about six months ago, Um, (laughs) starred Franklin Richards, grown up into like a teenager, calling himself Uh, the Psy Lord. And uh, had a couple of completely forgettable characters, uh, Huntara and Vibraxis. Um, I think She-Hulk was in there for a while, Black Panther, Human Torch. But they couldn't put anybody in it that made anybody want to be in it. It was essentially sort of trying to do a grim and gritty Fantastic Four riff. Yeah. At, at a point in time when Tom DeFalco was basically redoing the 105 issues that Lee and Kirby did. Not that that was a bad thing. I mean, I don't want to – don't get me wrong. I'm not bagging on DeFalco's run on Fantastic Four. It wasn't life-changing, but it was at least vaguely entertaining. And Fantastic Force just felt very derivative. Yeah. I used, I used to have you know a couple of issues. I bought it out of the quarter bin <laughs> before I put more of it in the quarter bin. <laughs> so what do you think of this, this new series that's coming out? I mean, Mark Miller has done some pretty cool things in comics that have kind of shaken mm. some things up. And it's hard to tell from sure. this. It's hard to tell from this black and white image who it is. I don't know if that's Hulk or Rolk. It's got Wolverine. It looks like somebody that looks like a, the uh, the Human Torch. I, having I having read the are. issues that lead up to it, mm-hmm. I can tell you that uh, the one who looks like Wolverine mm-hmm. is Wolverine. This is oh, a, an great. alternate future story. The one who looks like Hulk is uh, the Hulk's son, Scar? Banner Junior. Oh. Um, but it's it's one of those things. Uh, uh, the death of the Invisible Woman arc in yeah. Fantastic Four, yeah, 
was actually about the invisible woman coming the invisible woman coming back in time from the future and the future invisible woman dying. Oh. Well, see that's and that's these were at all, this was though. her team. I believe they called themselves something silly. But I mean I'm looking at the the picture that we have on the website www.majorspoilers.com you should go check it out. I'm looking at it and what it looks to me like and again this is a common complaint that I have it looks like Miller and Hitch doing the same thing that they did on Ultimates. I mean, even the costume yeah. designs are reminiscent of what Hitch did with the designs for the Ultimate Avengers. The Ultimates. So, Rodrigo, do I, you have, do you have any thoughts? Um, not interested. You get me, you get me into a, a series that involves time travelers and alternate dimensions and stuff, and, I, and you put it in the mainstream... Marvel or DC universe, and I, I usually just bail as soon as I as soon as I can. Okay, mm-hmm. so let me ask everybody this: uh, It comes out in April, so will this be Fantastic Force or Fantastic Farce? Oh snap! <laughs> I'm gonna vote with somewhere in between, probably Fantastic Meh. <laughs> Rodrigo, I, I can I can see you know because Mark Miller is a is a great writer. Mm-hmm. I can see him bringing some depth to the characters and making the situations interesting, but the the parting point, like the starting point for this uh, this comic, just does not interest me at all. Yeah, I'm going to go with Fantastic Farce. I, I you know I got all messed up in the in the '90s with uh, with Bishop and the whole what was that whole series going on where it was time travel and crazy stuff oh, and Bishop. Yeah, this this appears to be that all over again and Cable, all that crazy stuff. Well, cable. you know, it was the it was the '90s. Things were different. Then. Ugh, I know. Ugh. Hey, uh, something that will be different in the future. I don't know if Warner Home Video did this on purpose or if it had been previously announced because I don't remember it. I knew that they were talking about having a Green Lantern animated movie, but I don't think it was announced as being the next home movie from Warner Home Video following Wonder Woman. But this past week, uh, they released the box cover art up on their website. And right there on the back, it says, see previews for the upcoming Green Lantern movie. Are you guys excited uh, about that or not? I mean, have you guys watched any of the animated stuff from uh, from Warner and DC? I mean, we've I haven't all... watched Wonder Woman. I mean, we've seen... No, that one uh, comes out in March. Superman Doomsday. Right. We saw Superman Doomsday. We saw New Frontier. Right. What did you think of Superman Doomsday? What, I, what did I think about it? Yeah. I I thought it was all right. I think... They unfortunately tried to simultaneously have the same style as the series, mm-hmm. but distanced the design of the characters, with, which left Superman looking like somebody had punched his face in. Yeah, like those all those extra lines on his face just did not need to be there, and they bothered me throughout the entire thing. Ah, okay. Matthew, have you mm-hmm. watched any of the animated fair? I haven't. I was looking forward to seeing uh, Teen Titans: The Judas Contract. Oh, yeah. But- I haven't had a whole lot of time to, you know, go out buy a DVD and watch it. Basically, my uh, my viewing habits right now are whatever I can get on, you know, the DVR when I'm not mm-hmm. either writing or at work or writing at work yeah. or at the other work while writing. What's the DVR you have? Do you have a TiVo? I have a DVR. Oh, okay. Because I'm going to say with this Amazon Unbox, you can actually rent all those movies through the Amazon Unbox thing, have it delivered right to your DVR and watch it at your leisure. I heard somebody say you can do the same thing with a PlayStation 3, but oh yeah, uh, 
I still have an N64 and a VHS player. So. <laughs> well, the big thing that, that caused a lot of to-do up on the site, uh, you know, we talked about this when we did New Frontier. It's essentially the origin story of Green Lantern, Hal Jordan Green Lantern. So the question is, does this movie, who is going to be the Green Lantern? Will it be Hal Jordan? Will it be Jon Stewart? Who's it going to be? Gnort. I would say <laughs> Gnort, exactly. Gnort of Gnort Gnizmacher of the planet Gnelfing 5. It will be the story of how his uncle gave him a ring that he didn't really deserve. Yeah. It's kind of a sequel to the movie W. Um, <laughs> but, you know, ultimate power in the hands of a dog-faced <laughs> lunatic. But... The views expressed on the Major Spoilers podcast are not necessarily the views of the Major Spoilers podcast. Or, or even the, the views of the person who reads them. No, I think... Um, you have to go with Hal Jordan for a couple of things. First of all, the major exposure of Green Lantern as a character, from my experience, where I found out who Green Lantern was all about, was uh, Super Friends. Right. Which was Hal. And even those people who love Justice League Unlimited are going to come in, and I think, I think DC is going to feel a greater, uh, a greater um, obligation to start with Hal, because if you start with John, you do one of two things. You either have Hal's origin story with John, or you tell John's origin story, which yeah, how involves... Yeah, you do that without Hal? Yeah. Exactly. That, I mean, from that point, you have to... If you're going to go within the continuity, you have to tell Hal's story before you tell the other stories. Now, I agree that John would probably be a more dynamic choice because I've never been a real big fan of Hal Jordan. Even under Jeff Johns, I kind of go, Hal Jordan is just kind of a cock rocket. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I prefer John Stewart. I, I prefer, I prefer even on, on Justice League where he's kind of the team's loose cannon to a degree. Yeah. Where, you know, he, he basically has the force shield and the laser beam. I like John Stewart's interpretations better than I like Hal Jordan's. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there are some people out there, hi, Josh, who are <laughs> going to tell me that I'm wrong and, and that I'm, you know, I'm a terrible, terrible human being. But I really think they almost certainly have to start with Hal. Yeah. Rodrigo, what and about I you? Um, my, I think the, the, the biggest, the, the largest amount of text that I've absorbed you know involving green lantern is jlu i haven't i've never really followed green lantern all that much so for me you know john stewart kind of is green lantern i mean uh, i've read stuff with hal jordan and i've read stuff with um what's his face uh kyle, kyle rayner yeah yeah it, um, guy gardner has totally just skipped my radar i you know i know that he's been a green, green lantern but and I know that he probably is now because, like, everybody's a Green Lantern now. Right. Or a Pink Lantern. Um, I, but I I would prefer to see Jon Stewart. And I think they just have to basically tweak his uh, origin story to a degree mm -hmm. and just go with it. Because I wouldn't be surprised, especially if they're launching this as a series, that eventually they'll have something like, you know, they'll eventually make a Justice League movie with this new different version of the just of you know the dc cartoon right. characters i'm almost gonna have to say if they were smart and wanted to sell more titles that they would go with john stewart simply because again most of the people who are going to be interested in, in viewing this are not 35 year old men but they're going to be kids who are interested in seeing this and their exposure has been to the jlu 
If they did read any of the Justice League comic books, the kids' versions, those feature Jon Stewart. And really, until about, what, four four years ago, House Jordan hadn't been back into the into the uh, DCU except as as the ghost, the the specter. Yeah. So I would I would say that they would almost benefit more by having John Stewart as the Green Lantern featured in this movie. But they could have Guy Gardner, who knows. They could have Gnort. You know who would be really cool? Who? Kyle Kyle Rayner? Who? Drick, the Green Lantern who died, but his ring would not let his body discorporate. Oh, cool. So he was just this rotting corpse with a Green Lantern ring. Ooh, that's pretty creepy. He he was around during the millennium in like 87 and 88. He's one of the few Green Lanterns that I remember and go, you know, who'd be good? (laughs) Not that I think about it. Hal Jordan's ex-girlfriend, Aresia. The really, really hot golden skin girl. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. With the elf ears and the yeah, costume yeah. that yeah. cut down somewhere in the neighborhood of her pubic area. But yeah, yeah. They, they, they would Throw her on there. They wouldn't do that. Maybe that'll be next week's they, poll. We'll have everybody fight it out as to which Green Lantern. Alan uh, Scott! Well, you know, that would actually be kind of interesting, too, if they did it in the time period. I mean, Wonder Woman is being taken place during, uh, I think, World War II. Why not? Is that really? I, th- I believe so. Uh, why not? Uh, why not Alan Scott? Hey, before right. we get out of the news section, uh, quick thoughts on the announcement that there might be not one but two Atomic Robo series planned for 2009. With one of them, I think the next one, featuring a very popular cameo guest appearance from the very first series. My guess is it's going to be Stephen Hawking. <laughs> or um, the what is it? The Could Ghost of Rasputin. Could be Ghost of Rasputin too. Could be one of those three: Edison, Hawking, or uh, Rasputin. But I'm going to go with Hawking. Thoughts on that? I'm excited. Matthew? I am too. I am too. All right, there we go. So we're done with the news. You can find out a whole lot more over at Majorspoilers.com. Which means, Matthew, it's time for... Major Spoilers Reviews! Reviews! Who wants to go first this week? Rock, paper, scissors. One, two, three, shoot! Rock. Suborbital meteor. It <laughs> uh, looks like Matthew wins. I think I win. This time around, I almost never get to go first in the review section. I know. I'm psyched. So um, this time around, I went uh, somewhere that I've never you know, usually gone before. And by that, I mean I'm, I'm treading old ground yet again. Um, <laughs> Marvel Zombies 3, number 4, not to be confused with Marvel Zombies 4, number 1. Or Marvel Zombies 2, number 3. But Marvel Zombies 3, number 4, came out this last couple of weeks. And the first thing that I really found entertaining was, if you've seen the cover of Marvel Zombies 3, and you can see it online at Majorspoilers.com, um, Spitfire is on the cover as a zombie, yeah, and yet she still has Greg Land porn face. <laughs> which I think is that's an achievement that right there is is the epitome of style over substance or something um, but uh, so far Marvel Zombies 3 has essentially been a, a, actually a pretty rousing tale of uh, Aaron Stack the artist formerly known as Machine Man and Yocasta the robot uh, from the Avengers that Hank Pym built after Ultron going into the zombie universe to find an inoculation for the zombie plague that was in Marvel Zombies, Marvel Zombies 2, Marvel Zombies Dead Days, Marvel Zombies vs. Army of Darkness, Marvel Zombies Jumping the Shark, 
<laughs> Marvel Zombies 7, Electric Boogaloo, and also Marvel Zombies Meet Abbott and Costello. <laughs> and uh, this issue starts off with the Jackal. Those of you who, who know who the Jackal is are groaning right now. The Jackal was a Spider-Man villain who actually cloned Peter Parker. And the whole setup was that all the villains of New York worked for the Kingpin. And the Jackal worked for the Kingpin, and he had one or two humans, and he kept cloning new humans for the zombies to eat. Ah. So the Jackal <laughs> is looking at his ruined cloning equipment, ruined by uh, Aaron Stack last issue. And there's a hilarious sight gag, or maybe it's a sound gag, I don't know. Uh, where Black Bolt is standing there, and every every time he speaks, it's this enormous thought balloon. Though he has destroyed our food supply and decimated our numbers, I believe he would do us a favor by ending our accursed existence forever. And this goes on for panel after panel, and finally the kingpin is like, I'm happy that necrosis has allowed you to speak, but shut up. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have one question before we get too far into this, Matthew, because yes, I'm sir. totally yes. lost on this series. Okay. This series, Marvel Zombies 3... Yes. And more specifically, Marvel Zombies 3 number 4 takes place yes. in 616 universe, correct? Not exactly. Okay, because yes I thought no. that there was this whole thing where down in Florida, some of the old zombies from Zombie World busted exactly. out and started wrecking havoc. The zombies from the zombie universe have infiltrated the 616, and Aaron Stack and Joe Costa are from the 616 universe. Okay. They have infiltrated the original Marvel Zombies universe oh, in between okay. the events of Marvel Zombies and Marvel Zombies 2. Okay, so all this stuff with Zombie Kingpin and Zombie What's-His-Face that can't shut up. Is, is, is taking place on the zombie Earth Okay, after the heroes leave zombie Earth after they ate the Silver Surfer okay. at the end of Marvel Zombies. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense then because I'm thinking if this is taking place in the 616 – why isn't it spilling out into the rest of the, the titles? Why aren't we having a big event? But now that's that's well, clear. I'm glad you asked that question, because if you've got clues like I know I have, then you'll want to know what comes next. Yes, yes, please. Uh, <laughs> what has actually happened is the zombies have found a zombified Doctor Strange and used his body or his the, the last remains of his consciousness to create a portal. Zombie Morbius, as we like to call him, Zorbius, Yes, has he's a come vampire. through our universe, replaced his duplicate within the initiative, and is trying to create not a zombie inoculation, but a zombie plague. Oh, boy. So, immediately after returning from the zombie universe without Aaron, Yocasta finds Zorbius, and Zorbius has infected the S.H.I.E.L.D. base in Florida. Oh Florida, for those of you who don't know, for many years has been the nexus of all realities, thanks to the Man-Thing. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you really want to impress a girl, ask her if she wants to see your giant-sized man thing. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. I think I've made that joke 11,000 times. I should probably get, like, a little balloon. But in any case, Yocasta is forced to go on the run from zombies. And uh, in the zombie universe, we find the wrecked shell of Aaron Stack. And the zombies have found him, and they're going to kill him. Because, well, they're actually going to try to kill him because he's a zombie. They try to pick him up, and it turns out that it's not actually him. And you hear Aaron say, my hologram projector still works. And then he starts, you know, just ripping them up. And it's actually hysterical. Every scene with Aaron Stack versus zombies is one of the, literally one of the funniest things I've read in the last couple of years. Last nice. month, he stole the motorcycle of Vengeance after just 
cutting, literally cutting people to shreds. Uh, this issue, he takes out the super speedsters by shooting microfilament wires from his fingers across a, a door frame. Oh, cool. He has to fight a zombie lockjaw. Yeah, <laughs> uh, lockjaw. And the best part is he figures out how to control zombie lockjaw. Nice. So he uses zombie lockjaw to teleport him home. Ah. Where he and Joe Costa show up, and there's this wonderful moment where all the zombies from the S.H.I.E.L.D. base are, are trying to head out into the world, and there's this purple portal, and here's Aaron. Greetings, rotting fleshy ones. I've been programmed to eviscerate your repulsive, squishy, organic bits and chew gum, and I hate gum. <laughs> and then he just basically cuts them all to shreds, rips them up. There's a terrible sight gag where he takes... Uh, one of the agent's brains and feeds it to Lockjaw so the dog will listen to him. And then it turns out there's a bomb in the brain, oh, so he boy. blows Lockjaw's head off. Now, it's a terrible, terrible, hateful series, actually. But well, I, some I, of the sightings are brilliant. That's what I want to know is this is the fifth zombie story, Marvel zombie story that we've had. We had the uh, Fanta Ultimate Fantastic Four meeting the zombies, Marvel Zombies mm -hmm. 1, Marvel Zombies 2, Army of Darkness Zombies, and now this right. zombie series. There's five of them. There was also the Dead Days one-shot, and I oh, believe okay, there was a Marvel right. Zombies crossover with um, something else, with Black Panther. Oh, right, right. That's right, in the, in the Fantastic Four crossed over. Man, right. this, so this is like the sixth or seventh zombie. God, is this, is this, this story itself, I dropped it because it was just too confusing to me. Is this yeah. confusing? Is this a good series, a bad series? Is this issue good or it's, bad? It's better than Marvel Zombies 2, and this issue is the best issue of this run, simply because of the sheer carnage that Aaron is allowed to do. Um, in fact, there's a moment that, that just made the hair on my arms rise, where he flips both arms out into about a thousand guns, and he screams, you know what? My name is Machine Man, and I just saved the effing world and starts blowing up all the zombies. So basically, Machine Man took out all of the infected zombies. Okay. He gets the girl. He wants to make sweet, sweet robot love to her. But uh, in any case, the zombies have unsuccessful, they've been unsuccessful in trying to take over the world. Okay. In fact, there's a horrible, the worst joke ever in any zombie movies or any zombie issue so far takes place in this book um i talked about zombie kingpin and zombie black bolt right it was established that one of the few remaining humans in the zombie universe was the kingpin's wife vanessa mm -hmm. and i made the remark earlier in the series that what this proves is that the kingpin is actually stronger than spider-man because spider-man was unable to resist oh, the urge yeah. to eat his wife there you go there but go. there's a cute scene where everything is beaten up and Doctor Strange is taken out and they realize that everything is gone and Black Bolt turns to the kingpin and he's he's killed and he's eating Vanessa. And his line is, what? I eat when I'm upset. <laughs> this nice. is... So if you had to uh, give it a, uh, I don't know, a, a decaying meatloaf slice, <laughs> an undead meatloaf slice, and really most meatloaf has got to be some part of the undead. <laughs> right. How many slices would you give this one? Only two for the sole reason of the last page of the issue. Okay. Remember my complaints about Secret Invasion? Yeah. Yes. All Secret Invasion did was feed us into chocolate rain so right. we could move our mouth from the mic to breathe. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Marvel Zombies 3 ends with join us for Marvel Zombies 4. Oh, good Lord. Where <sighs> Morbius is going to reunite the Midnight Suns. So this issue is probably the best of Marvel Zombies 4 thus far. Thus far. It's got some, some good character work with Aaron. It reestablishes, at least for a while, the Machine Man Yocasta relationship. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. I'm probably not. I think so. But in any case, the Machine Man Yocasta relationship, which was always delightful to me from an old issue of Marvel 2 in 1 a billion years ago. Yeah. And overall, it's nicely done. Fred Van Lent actually has a real knack for creepy dialogue and black humor. But I think one of the one of the things that's working against it is the fact that it's designed entirely to feed from Marvel Zombies three into Marvel Zombies four. So wow, two two out of four decaying, possibly moving, and slightly green slices of meatloaf. Stop it, Marvel! Just stop it! Stop, stop it with the, the zombies! Madness. Stop <laughs> the zombie madness, Rodrigo! Surely you can uh, uh, make us feel a little bit better with with a review. All right. Probably not. Okay. I uh, I read Broken Trinity colon Angelus. Ah, part of their Broken Angelus. Trinity series, yeah. Mm. Angelus, yeah. Something like that. Okay. Um, now I'm I was not terribly familiar with the Angelus, um, or whatever it's called, because um, I believe I, the Angelus came to Sunnydale in in season one, <laughs> and yeah, had an affair with Buffy, didn't he? Yeah, this is a different it, Angelus there, uh, man. Yeah, oh, my. This one's this one's a sexy girl as opposed to a very, very handsome man. Anyway, uh, who played the voice? Of, <laughs> who who did the voice of Green Lantern in uh, New Frontier? So, yeah, that's right. Full circle. Um, basically, this is a this is a setup issue for I guess whatever the the main Broken Trinity book is going to be. Um, yeah. We start out in a bar, and these two, uh, the the bar is run by this hot chick, and this these two other hot chicks show up, and you basically find out that all three of these hot chicks are crazy angel people. Um, and <laughs> that's that's how it normally is. I mean, I can't go into a oh, yeah. bar and and not bump into three crazy angel women. You know what? You know what I'm saying? So. Um, <laughs> Basically, the the two that show up convince the the Angelus, I guess, is is what she is, to get back to her job and go hunt down and cut off the darkness's head. Um, as I understand <laughs> it, I attack the darkness. Pretty much, um, it, which you know, I find this whole thing pretty amusing because I'm pretty sure that all that you know, Witchblade. The darkness, and I think the the angels might have started out in Spawn. I, I could be wrong about that. Um, maybe I'm just getting my weird, you know, battle like steel bikini clad women confused. But um, you know, though they all started as their in, own individual thing, and eventually, Top Cow has sort of merged them, you know, kind of um, haphazardly into a trinity. So now, like, the darkness is evil. And the angel is is good, and the um, the the witchblade supposed to maintain the balance or whatever. So that's set up more or less. Yeah, um, everybody is very sexy in this in this book, except for that one old guy that gets incinerated. Um, but he gets incinerated right in a sexy way. So <laughs> um, 
I'll, I'll leave I'll leave you to read the book to to find out exactly what that is. Um, oh, and the art is great. You know, the art looks really good. Um, you can't really blame the artist for the character design because these character designs have been around for a long time, and they basically are just girls in steel bikinis with wings and horns. So if you're into Boris Vallejo, you're probably going to enjoy this. <laughs> well, um, why do angels need horns? I don't know. But I've actually seen other representations of angels with horns. It's not something that's um that's unheard of. Okay. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna give it two slices of meatloaf at most. Possibly yeah, I'll give it two. Okay. Um uh, mostly for the art. Because even not that much happens in the issue. I, I do like the art that I that I saw. Um Art by Brian, what is it, Stillfreeze, I think is who it is. Stillfreeze um, is one of those guys who's been around forever. Yeah. And his work is always really, really distinctive. So yeah. even if it's on something that I can't stand, I'll be like, hey, is that Brian Stillfreeze? Mm-hmm. Now, I've, I'll admit, I've read some of The Darkness. I haven't followed that much of the Angelus character. And lately, I haven't even read Witchblade. I haven't read Witchblade, even though I've been buying the issues for about a year, I've I've got to get really caught up on that series. So I'm intrigued with what's going on with Broken Trinity. I'm intrigued with what's going on with the two Witchblade characters that are running around now, Sarah Pazzini and uh, and the um, the new girl. Um, the Metropolis Kid. She's uh, like Witchblade, only she's a clone with a leather jacket. Yes. <laughs> and then there's there's the Witchblade with the armor. I believe they call her Steel Witchblade. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Cyborg Witchblade. Then there's Witch the, the Cyborg, yeah. Yeah, so she's two- my favorite. Two for two for two going on there. Uh, This week I took a look at Hellboy, The Wild Hunt, number two of eight, uh, by Mike Mignolia. Mignolia? Mignolia? Mignola. Mignola. I'll get this right one of these days, Mike. Sorry about that. Hi, I'm Mike Mignola. Hello! (laughs) And the Pope of the Ghost and and Super Mario. That's that's the, there you go. So, last time... It's a sitcom. Not Mario. Hellboy was called to... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hellboy was After called to England. The Bureau of Paranormal Defense. <laughs> B- BPRD. He spends a lot of time be, in the underworld. I'm that would just be saying. interesting. Uh, so Hellboy was called to England to participate in this uh, giant hunt, where these long lines of Illuminati type characters go out and hunt down giants that have woken up and and, uh, take them down. Problem is, everybody on this particular hunt who's going with Hellboy have something against Hellboy. And so last issue, they stabbed him through the heart and left him for dead. And so Hellboy's, you know, this guy's really kind of got a death wish. You know, he hasn't been happy in the last couple of years that we've seen him. He wakes up with this spear through his chest. He's still alive. And as he goes tromping through the fields... He is walking right through the field of giants who are still alive, who subsequently killed all the hunt party members, uh, and he is not, uh, he's not detected. And that's because this little bird gave him a flower from a princess, or not, maybe she's not a, a princess at one point, but she was a girl that Hellboy rescued. I don't think she's a rest- princess because the princess is in another castle. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but she had, this is a character that Hellboy had rescued years ago. And so it's giving him the power of invisibility against these giants. Now, the problem with the story is, and this particular issue does a pretty good job of trying to tie in all of these back history tales uh, 
of Hellboy into this into this book. I mean, we have over what is it? Almost twenty years now of Hellboy, Matthew. Um, I think there's at least fifteen. I want to say Hellboy goes back to like ninety one or ninety three. Yeah, so we're looking at quite a quite a run for Hellboy with a lot of stories coming out in a variety of different places, and a lot of vague characters now starting to come back around, leading up to the release of this uh, Blood Queen or whoever she is. Uh, so there's a lot going on in this book. Now, poor Hellboy, as I mentioned, has pretty much got a death wish, and I, I'm going to have to go back and read more of my Hellboy to figure out why he is so emo lately. But essentially, he throws down this shield of protection and starts to fight the giants, and that's kind of how we're, we're left with that issue of Hellboy, with him fighting giants and the rise of this queen um, from this coffin, and we will find out who she is probably next issue. Um, man, there's a lot of history in this Hellboy. I mean, you really need to know your Hellboy history or at least have that Hellboy companion book that's out there so you can kind of flip through and find out who all these people are. Uh, as much as I like Hellboy, this one I'm only probably going to give it a three because you hmm. do need to know that history. I mean, it's a good read. It's interesting. You can get into the Hellboy character. The Fighting Giants from last issue is very cool. Um... But then you start going into this, okay, who's this pig guy? Oh, yeah, he's from, you know, 50 issues ago. Oh, who is this queen? Oh, well, she was referenced here. Oh, who is this uh, person that he rescued? Oh, that was way back in uh, year one of Hellboy. So it really is is confusing on that part. On the plus side, the art is good by uh, Duncan Fregrido. Fregrido? Fregrido. Uh, okay. And... The storytelling is great. I like that they're keeping everything in a continuity. Uh, but as we talk about continuity in the past, I think one of the things that's a big holdup is if things get too mired in continuity, then it's really hard for new readers to come on board. And I think that's what the Wild Hunt is kind of doing. It's, it's prohibiting new readers from jumping on board, especially after this Hellboy 2 movie that came out this, this past summer. So I'm going to go mm. with three, three out of five. I have a Hellboy question for you. Okay, I will try to answer. I briefly saw in Hellboy 2. The movie? Uh, yeah, the, okay. the, the scene where he's drunk. Yes. And he, he says something about five-fingered Mary when he punches a guy. Yeah. That hand only has four fingers. And a thumb, right? Or not? No, I think it's three fingers and a hmm. thumb. I'm looking at it. That's so, interesting. I mean... What happened? Did I, I miss something? Maybe it's a prop thing. I blame Rodrigo. Yeah. Rodrigo. Sorry. We have uh, been doing a lot of different shows these last couple of, of weeks, and we have fallen behind on some of our emails. So I kind of wanted to throw some of these out here, and um, uh, let's see. Maybe you guys can answer some questions. Let's see. Sure. For the the, uh, let's see, Rob says, Rob says, hey guys, you're doing an awesome job, as always. So really he was just call, uh, writing in to say what a good job we're doing. Thanks for the awesome show. Uh, I forgot well. who sent this one in, but this is something that maybe you guys have answers for. Hi, Stephen, my local store just closed down this week. You mentioned on one of your shows that you get yours by mail. Which store would you suggest that has a great mail service? I'm looking at Midtown Comics, but don't like the idea of having to pay for shipping. I want to have good discounts, but some of the shipping prices I saw threw me for a loop. Any ideas on that? And I forgot who sent that in, so I apologize. 
The, uh, um, the handful of times that I have ordered stuff, it, it's been through Midtown, but that's largely because I don't do it very often, and I kind of just searched around by, you know, the biggest one and whose website actually looked the less sketchy, the least sketchy. Mm-hmm. And, and Midtown was about the winner there. Okay. Matthew, what about you? I've never used the service myself, mm-hmm. but I know that um, when I was in high school, a friend got all of his books through Westfield Comics, and I believe they're still out there and operating. Okay. Um, Mile High Comics also has their nice comic service where you pay in a certain amount of dollars, you hand them a pull list, they will pull until your money runs out. No, oh, cool. I don't know about shipping charges. Like I say, uh, generally, I get my books when I show up for work. Yeah, that's one one advantage for you. <laughs> a lot of people yeah. have used a lot of people have used a DCB service, Discount Comic Book Service, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are very pleased with that. I think some of these issues that you're seeing for uh, two and three, four dollars, sometimes with the discounts, run maybe seventy five cents to a buck. So that's nice. quite a discount that you're getting from that. Uh, myself, oh. I haven't used DCB service. Uh, if they would like to sponsor the show, I'm all up for uh, trying out their service. Uh, what I do is when my comic book shop closed in Salina, and again, that's an hour and a half away for me to drive, uh, this guy, James, who is regularly contributes to the website and, and sometimes will fire off things about the show, he just kept the business running but runs it out of his home and just collects people's uh, content, uh, their pull lists, uh, and then and does business that way. So I've had a business relationship with him as far as uh, the shipping and, and sending of comics uh, for a couple of years. And, you know, even though I don't have a local comic book store, I still like to support the local guys as much as I can, even though I know with as much as I spend, and James has often joked that I've probably put his kids through college already, <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind getting some $5 comics for a buck, you know? Uh, but yeah. I, I guess I'm kind of like Rodrigo as I'm kind of concerned sometimes about the sketchiness of some of these websites. They look a little mm-hmm. peculiar. So I would say whoever wrote this in, uh, do be careful uh, with whatever site you go to. But I think Matthew and Rodrigo gave you some, uh, some good suggestions. Mm-hmm. All right. We've got another one. It says, uh, gentlemen, I've been a fan and collector of comics for almost 40 years, and I've been trying to pass along the passion to my boys who are eight and five. I recently discovered your podcast and have become an avid listener. Hey, all right. After hearing your podcast about saltwater taffy, I bought the two trade paperbacks for my oldest. I can't begin to tell you how much fun it was for me to listen to him read the trade paperbacks to me using different voices for the characters and everything as part of our book club night. It's a great read, and I thank you so much for the shared experience with my son. While we wait for the third Saltwater Taffy trade paperback to come out next year, are there other graphic novels or trade paperback collections that are like Saltwater Taffy that you can recommend? My kid reads Tiny Titans already and the other Warner-based stuff. They have not read the Marvel Adventures collections, and I'll get those in any event, but I'm looking for something in a sequential art form that's not necessarily superhero-based. Any ideas? Keep up the good work. Happy holidays. Uh, Of course, this was sent before the holidays. Victor uh, from, I think he is from Canada, but he may not be. Uh, So Victor wrote in. Thank you so much for that, Victor. Right off the top of my head, one book that you might want to get, and it's kind of a holiday-based book, it's Hero Bear and the Kid. I like that one a lot. it's, It's a story about Santa Claus and this boy uh, finding this this bear, uh, stuffed toy bear that comes to life, and they go out and fight crime. But then there's this whole Santa theme that that builds up, and it has a really nice and touching ending. It's been a couple of years since I read it, but there may be maybe one mature theme that goes on, like there's a death of somebody that happens. 
Uh, so you might want to be a little careful with that, but it's certainly a, a good all-ages read. Mm. What about Matthew or Rodrigo? You guys have any suggestions? Hmm. See, the problem that I have is that most of the things that I would recommend mm-hmm. probably aren't going to be appropriate for five and eight. Okay. Even even the things that I think are aimed at younger readers are probably going to have references. I know that with you know with my kid, mm-hmm. she we were going to try and read uh, the Batman Strikes because she loves Batman, but she didn't care for the art. Ah, okay. You know, it's one of those things where we staying away from the superhero genre mm-hmm. kind of puts me out of my wheelhouse a little bit. So, I mean, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head, but I am going to do a little bit of uh, research and I may come up with something. And, okay. you know, we may fire off an email and see what's going on in, in terms of that. But, but most of what I'm coming up with, I don't remember if Scott Pilgrim is aimed at an nah, that's, older. That's maybe that. 15, 16, well, 18 year old kid. Yeah, that's what I yeah. thought. What I thought, there. So that's a problem. Um, <laughs> Have you guys read Hero Sorry, Bear and the Kid? I've seen it around. I haven't read it. Oh, it's a great, I'll, great. I'll great. put some in the quarter bin. They're great reads. I, I would recommend that. Are they? Yeah. Uh, there Eric, was also a Magic Pickle. I'm, you know what? We're going to have to probably do a show a little bit more in the future on this because there are about a half a dozen other ones that I can think of that I need to go back and just double-check on the age range for, but I bet you we could come up with a pretty good list uh, yeah. there, Victor, that we might be able to recommend in the future for you. Well, I once, we I get cracking on, uh, once I get cracking on Bone, I'll let you know. Oh, yeah, Bone is another great one, and that comes out, uh, in mm-hmm. fact, the Scholastic Press is actually coming out with those in color in a series of smaller trades, and a lot of kids, that's, that's a big seller for Scholastic Press right now. Mm-hmm. So Eric writes in, he says, hey there, I'm an avid Majorspoilers.com reader. I, of course, have my favorite uh, favorites. I don't know what he means by that. I did recently read the Salvation Run trade paperback. Oh, boy, this is a tough question. How did the villains that Luthor had hooked up to the warp hole, acting as the bridge between the Salvation Run planet and Earth, how did they get home? I recognized a few of them, Lightning and Thunder and Parasite, Warp and Silver Swan. How'd they get back? Did they get back? I don't remember if Parasite was hooked up to the machine or not. Do you, Matthew? According to the wiki, yes. Uh, the the people who were powering the teleport device mm-hmm. were Plasmus and Warp of the Brotherhood of Evil. Right. Thunder and Lightning, the uh, Vietnamese twins from Teen Titans. Right. The Heatmonger of the Orion Brigade mm-hmm. from the old uh, Justice League. Task force. Any relation to the Heat Miser? Yes, he's actually the Heat Monger's third cousin. Oh, okay. Um, And Neutron, an old Superman villain who at one point was a member of the Fearsome Five. Okay, so not Parasite. All all not Parasite, and all of these characters were presumed killed on the Salvation Planet. However, that's that's what I thought. Here's the thing about the Salvation Planet. Remember, Libra went to Salvation Planet. Right. To get to uh, get the Martian Manhunter, but uh, let's see. According to this, the death toll: uh, the Hellhound, the original Hellhound, was killed. They've already, I think, got a new one. Simon was killed by the Joker. Iron Cross of the Orion Brigade was killed by the Joker. Uh, The Brain was killed. Mishu Mala was killed by Gorilla Grodd with the Brain. The only one. 
he picked up the little one and killed the big one <laughs> yeah. with him. Yeah. But, you Metallo. know, Grod, didn't Grod go over the cliff and then he survived? Yeah, Grod came home. Yeah. Mishumala. Um, actually, I'm not sure if Grod came home or if Grod was teleported home during that terrible uh, spin issue of The Flash. Oh, maybe. But uh, Metallo oh, yeah. was God, killed. The hyena was killed, which is odd because the hyena was already dead. To my knowledge, both hyenas were dead. So this must be a new hyena. Brutal, who is a crazy <laughs> Gesundheit. Wow. Thanks. And General Immortus. I'm, I'm allergic to obscure DC villains. <laughs> Get this. General Immortus, who ironically, his superpower is immortality, was killed <laughs> on the, the, the see, these are the things. These are the things that I have. Well, I, Eric Berry, there yeah. you go. There's there's your answer. The people that were powering it did not come home. They did not come home. They are presumed dead. However, once again, with Libra and Darkseid in play, the possibility F of a teleporting Indra and a Hail Mary F still exists if somebody wants to bring them back. Also note, F continuity. there was an explosion, but within the explosion, when those characters were there, was a teleporter. Warp of the Brotherhood of Evil is a teleporter. So if you want to bring back anybody and you have a teleporter there and a power a power fluctuation in a teleportation device. F continuity. I mean, here's the yeah, thing, right? That's your out. Let's say all five of those characters were teleported together and they've been combined into one monstrous giant creature who combines the powers of thunder and lightning the powers of Neutron, the powers of Warp, and the powers of Plasmus. That would give them the ability to create lightning, to generate thunder, to control the weather, to teleport, to generate heat, to generate the radioactive waste that Plasmus generated. Plus, I mean, it's, it's five people all stuck in one. It would be a crazy, monstrous, mixed-up kind of thing. It would be an unstoppable creature of and, horrific proportion. And think about this. Four of those villains were Teen Titans villains. And two of them were villains of the old um, Doom Patrol. The new Doom Patrol is led by a former Teen Titan. Oh, no, Teen so here's Titans, look out. Here's what we need. We need a Teen Titans limited series, or excuse me, a Doom Patrol limited series with the new Doom Patrol fighting these five creatures all smooshed up into one, right? Uh -huh. And then, and then, and then at the end... It, it, it sto it, it's like a four-issue series, and then it's like it never happened five minutes later. Yeah. Huh? Huh? And quit the world pitch, quit pitching these the ideas. Same. Quit pitching these ideas to DC because you know they're listening and writing all this stuff down feverishly. And if we do end if. up with a series like this, I'm going to smack you. Hey, wait a minute. What day is it? <laughs> it okay. It is January 13th, 2008. Nine. 2009. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, if future people. Near, if, if in the near future any of this comes to be... Somebody owes my ass a dollar. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> a dollar. I'm and sure. And that, by the way, I'm sure Joe Casada will, or yeah, Joe, Dan DiDio will be happy to Dan hand Dio. over that that dollar. Dan DiDio. Yep. yep. I corrected Dio. myself. Uh, <laughs> Dan Hunter writes in from New Zealand. Hey guys, first thanks for keeping me entertained during the Christmas break. I saved up the festive podcast for a mammoth session to keep me occupied as I circumnavigated the globe from New Zealand to the UK and back again. Holy crap, that's a plane ride and a half. 
No way. I have to admit, I listened to lesser comic podcasts and was pretty content in my ignorance until I turned into major spoilers, or tuned into major spoilers. Uh, let's see. Your knowledge and passion shines through, and I appreciate the informative, humorous banter and review. Anyway, keep up the good work. It seems that most of the current writing superstars all hail from the UK. We were just mentioning Mark Miller just a few minutes ago. And, uh, mm. and they cut their teeth working on 2000 AD. Maybe you guys could have a trade review of of Dr- Judge Dredd, Rogue Trooper, DR, and, and Quitch, Tank Girl, followed up by a discussion on why the influx of UK writers changed comics and have they had a positive or negative effect on the four color stories we love. Dan Hunter from New Zealand. Is he related to the Dan Hunter who's actually uh, Rip Hunter's sidekick? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, no, he was know. Tomahawk's sidekick, as I recall, and then he was in the Rip Hunter time. Never mind. Have you guys read Judge Dredd? Nope. I've read a little bit. Matthew, what about you? I have up to a point. Okay. The thing about Judge Dredd is um, of that of that uh, era, a lot of it has not been translated. And yeah. I, I should translate it. But it hasn't been reprinted. Um, right. um, the things that I read from that era, uh, Zenith by uh, uh, Grant Morrison right. has been... Had, reprinted i know that uh, i have a big chunk of uh, marvel man mm-hmm. which is not from 2000 ad which actually came from warrior comics but you know a, a lot of the stuff from that period is either strangely received in america or tank girl and judge dread both of course had movies that were pretty abysmal right and uh-huh. people you know, people on this side of the Atlantic look at those and say, Sylvester Stallone, ah, Judge Dredd must have been terrible. You know, and I remember, I know I've read the original um, Judge, I think it's the Judge Death storyline, mm-hmm. where he and uh, Judge Anderson nearly destroy Judge Death's body, and, and I believe I read part of uh, the Red Razor storyline, which may have come later. Did you read Where the they Judge had, Dredd and Batman storyline? Awesome. Awesome. Uh, it had Batman in it. <laughs> but um so Yeah, well, I'd be willing if we could if we could find some of that stuff, I'd be willing to do trade the, reviews. That's that awesome. the problem. Uh, you know, we will we would have to track those down if there's anybody listening overseas that can has easy access to some of this stuff and wants to send it to us. We'd be appreciative of that. Uh, but what about his follow-up question about and again this could be something discussed later more in depth. Why the influx of UK writers, and has that had a positive or negative effect on the comics that we read? Well, I think it's had a. I think it's had a positive effect, um, or at least it would counter enough of a positive effect that it uh, overshadows any negative effect. Um, comics are, as Matthew has said a lot of times, kind of an incestuous medium. So, getting an influx of ideas that come from a different place. Whoops. I think we lost Rodrigo. Are you still there, Matthew? No, I'm sorry. Okay. I left. Let's see if Rodrigo comes back. Rodrigo, are you back? There you go. Did I cut out? Yes, you did. The last we heard was from a different place. Yes. It's good to have stuff that comes from a different place. (laughs) Just like Rodrigo. He comes from a different place. That's true. It's true. And he adds Ohio. so much to the show. <laughs> yeah, Ohio. <laughs> I, think, I think the positive effects are 
essentially and inextricably tied to the negative repercussions thereof. I mean, if you look at the positive effects of those writers, Alan Moore came out of that run. Right. Grant Morrison. Um, I believe, uh, uh, what is his name? The other guy with the thing on his head. Um, Jamie Delano. You know, a lot of the guys who are now becoming really big names... The British writers who who came out of that era are people who've really helped to shape the way comics go. I mean, even if you look at just Alan Moore and Grant Morrison and um, I want to say Neil not Gaiman, Garth Ennis, Warren Ellis. I always get them all confused. Garth, Garth Ennis, Warren Ellis, and Grant Morrison are actually one man person. changing his name for tax purposes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but. I believe Warren Ellis came from 2000 AD as well. I mean, some of the stuff that's in there is I, I bought something, um, a collection of Alan Moore's Time Twisters. And these are basically little filler stories that were in 2000 AD, little one or two page stories. And they're, they're intricate little things. And it's obvious that, you know, he put a great deal of thought into the craft and the art of, of making these stories. Right. To the point where at one point, they have this intergalactic uh, battle fleet that becomes so powerful that they actually expand out to the point where they break the laws of time and space and come back in and destroy their own their own uh, galactic empire because they expanded to the point where the universe inverted and then they had to come back in. Ah, nice. Basically, it's, it's kind of a reference to the Big Bang. I mean, and there was a story of uh, Robert Trebor who lived his life backwards. Cool. He woke up with a terrible pain in his chest uh-huh. and then walked backwards through his life. Um, you know, he his sons came home from college and then got smaller and smaller and smaller and eventually disappeared. And at one point, uh, uh, he went to a grave site and uh, an old woman that he called mom came home to live with him until really? she went off and lived in a house with someone who he called dad. Weird. Yeah, it was a really great story and it made you think, you know, for – more than your average sort of story. So, I mean, the effect of 2000 AD, I think, is whether you consider it to be positive or negative, I think you cannot deny that comics would not be what they are without that influx of British writers. Cool. I agree. Here, here. Uh, thank you, everybody, so much for your emails, your questions. Some of these we'll look back and reflect upon in the future. Uh, others we will uh, hopefully answer your question right now. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or whatever, all you have to do is contact us at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. We also have a phone number that slips my mind at the moment. Let me look for it. It's area code 785, and I'm trying to find the next – is it – it's it's not 62 – I think uh, there's is, a two in it. Yes, it is uh, seven. It's seven eight five seven two seven nineteen thirty nine. I tried to get nineteen thirty eight, but nineteen thirty nine was all they had available. Uh, you can call nice. and leave a recorded message there if you like, or, or just uh, record your comments and send it along to uh, the email at podcast at majorspoilers dot com. We'll get it, and we would love to include it on the show. And you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the for giggle the fest. Spoilers poll of the week, 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 It's the poll of the week. Hey, what do you got to say, Papa John of Paul II? Nothing. I have 
way. <laughs> and it would be sacrilegious for me to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really got to move. My God. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> what have you got yeah. for us this week, Matthew? We're going to hell for that joke. Yeah. One and of and you, you are all coming with us. Because <laughs> how else are you going to continue to enjoy this fine entertainment in the afterlife? That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, <laughs> Major Spoilers presents the Poll of the Week. <laughs> week, 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 week. Poll. Poll. <laughs> We thought we would. <laughs> Ten minutes later. We thought we would. As the battle for the fate of the Watchmen movie is playing out in the courtroom with the evil villainous Fox on one side and the good, kind, sweet Penelope Pitstop esque uh, other production company Warner sitting there. I have, I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> we had we had actually an interesting idea. Um, some people are aware, and some people are not that. The pitch for Watchmen was originally put together by Alan Moore featuring the Charlton characters that DC had recently acquired. Charlton's characters being the Blue Beetle, uh, the Judo Master, Pete Cannon, the Thunderbolt, Nightshade, and of course their big, their most powerful character um, created by Steve Ditko was Captain Atom. Captain Atom, of course, was translated when Alan was unable to use the Charlton characters and inspired another character called Dr. Manhattan. So you have two naked men covered in some sort of glowing substance. Who are you going to pick? On the one hand, uh, we have Jonathan Osterman, a doctor, a fine human being, the kind of man who would clone himself so he could have a threesome with his girlfriend if that's what she really wanted. And, of course, then we have, on the other hand, Nathaniel Adam, one of the worst puns in history of comic books. Um, Captain Adam, of course, uh, in his initial incarnation was just a guy in a yellow suit. Then he was later coated in silver armor. Then he was coated in even more silver armor, and he looked even more naked. Um, but and we then he traveled to see back through, words through time to try to take over the universe. Yeah, don't even go there. It's not worth the effort. <laughs> we we here at uh, Friendly Stately Spoilers Manor wanted to get your opinion on if, and again, it's not necessarily a fight, could be a conversation, could be a Slurpee drinking contest. Who do you feel would come out on the top? Are you singing the Star Trek song? <laughs> yes. Because I just have an image of these two naked glowing guys fighting with those little Q-tip sticks with the blades on the end. Those aren't lightsabers. And, and Osterman is in the pond far. That's just oh, no, 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 stop. No, radioactive pond far. And you have to understand, the man's naked. Now, of course, as we have noted many times before, I have two tendencies which tend to kind of sink me in situations like this. First, I tend to root for the underdog. Okay. And second, I am pathetically old school. Yes. So in this case, I actually had to go with Captain Adam simply because of, well, there, there are actually a number of factors. First, Captain Adam was created by Steve Effing Ditko. Which, you know, is a pretty good pedigree as far as I'm concerned. I always All what three his of middle his name was. Steve? Yeah, it's Effin. <laughs> 
It's actually, a, it, it's an old Yiddish word. It means uh, you'll never have an interview with him, Stephen. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Captain Adam had three different distinct costumes, all of which were first and foremost awesome. His original costume, the red and gold starbursts. You may want to look it up. It's actually it's a really cool. good book. You can look at the cover of Mystery in Space number 86 from yeah. Charlton Comics, roughly 1951. Really good look. His second costume was the red and blue look with the silver arms. Most of us would probably have been most familiar with that from around Christ on Infinite Earths. And his third costume was the all-silver look with the red, the red gloves and chest symbol and the blue boots. Mm-hmm. From the Justice which League International. Which was really fabulous when it was drawn by... Uh, uh, what is his name? Pat something. But in any case, they Marita. also Pat, did... Pat Buchanan. Pat Morita. Pat Buchanan. No. Uh, no, it wasn't him either. Patty, Patty Buchanan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, not only were all three costumes spectacular, they also hid his naughty bits. Yeah. So <laughs> I, had, I had to go with the edge there because, come on, let, let's be frank here. I loved every panel of Watchmen, and there were moments in Watchmen that were absolutely breathtaking, but every time little Dr. Manhattan appeared on panel, <laughs> I, I just kind Cringed of felt a little, a little bit. bit dirty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I it, also... Little... Go ahead. I also went with uh, Captain Adam, simply because he's old school, but if you've read the... Uh, what was it? The, the Countdown to Final mm-hmm. Crisis, or whatever it was called, they breached his armor, and he destroyed an entire universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, all he's got to do is open up that armor just a little bit, and I would think that Dr. Manhattan would be extinctamundo. That would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo, what about you? Um, I, w- I went with uh, Dr. Manhattan because uh, I do yes. like his design. And his blue uh, naughty bits. Uh, up, until, up until the point where the, the black part of his outfit disappears. <laughs> Um, I also one bah, of the, I think, bah, I'm running, I'm a sheep. <laughs> I think one of the best parts in Watchmen uh, involves Doctor Manhattan, and that's when um, he's like, "I can see the entirety of time and space. I know everything that will be and everything that has been." And the suspector's like, "I'm breaking up with you," and he's like, <laughs> "He's like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> what the." Which, you gotta admit it's, that's a hysterical moment. I, I, I wish oh, yeah. we would. I don't know if we're going to talk about Watchmen as the movie draws near or not. I think we had this conversation before, but you know, being a guy who can see the past and the future and everything in between, uh, man, what a what a tragic thing! It's kind of like just okay, I'm just here to watch, and yep. I really can't do anything about it. So I know she's going to break up with me. I can't do anything about it. You know, I'm going to blow up the the planet. The end. Which he doesn't, well, and, unless you watch the upcoming movie. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, did I ru- ruin something for everybody? Oh, snap. Oh, Spoilers. Yeah, just, what? I, um, I, I think for me, the, what, really, what really would bother me about seeing the past, the present, and the future isn't 80% of the fun of life based on not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. Thinking, hey, tomorrow's going to be a great day, and you don't realize you're going to wake up to like an $800 overdraft. Ah! If you saw that coming, how much fun would that be? That would be pretty. That would, uh, you know, isn't that why the Cyclopses, they had to uh, cut out their eyes because of that? Because they saw their future? I would not. I I I would just be awful. It It would be awful. 
Would you want those powers? Would you want to be able to see all time and space and everything in between, past, present, and future, a la Doctor Who? I would, I would not because it wouldn't be any fun. There wouldn't be any surprises. And even when the surprises are bad, surprises are half the fun. Yeah. I mean, how often, you know, it's like Christmas. All the presents under the tree looked a lot more awesome before you opened them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, why don't you go up and uh, give us your feedback on our major spoilers poll of the week? Two hundred and eleven people have already cast their their vote. With uh, Doctor Manhattan taking the lead by far, seventy eight percent to twenty four percent. Is that even possible? Seventy six percent to twenty four percent. There you go. It's perfectly possible when you're old and your sight. Hey, well, you know, I do have a major eye doctor appointment next week, which we'll see what happens there. Major eye doctor. They may po- they may poke out they may poke out one of my eyes. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Uh, so we have been recently reading a lot and talking a lot about trade paperbacks from you know our main companies: Image, Dark Horse, DC, uh, Marvel. Uh, but rarely do we get the chance to really dive into a trade paperback from a little a small publisher. And so this <laughs> week... said dive. Exactly. This week we're taking <laughs> a look at Studio 407's hybrid trade paperback. And I don't believe the trade paperback comes out for another couple of weeks, I don't, I don't think. Uh, I think the fourth issue just arrived a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but essentially, the tale of hybrid... I'll just read you this uh, bit from the, from the cover... When four friends decide to rent a schooner for the day, everything is smooth sailing until they encounter a derelict ship to drift in the ocean, a massive trawler that looks as if it had been dragged from the bottom of the sea. When they spot a frightened little girl waving at them from the bow, they have no choice but to investigate. As they get closer to the ship, they discover that the girl is not alone and that a terrifying creature born from environmental abuse is also stalking the ship. This is Studio 7's Hybrid. Dun 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 dun! Uh, uh, uh. He was born in environmental abuse? Really? Well, you know, that's the one thing that is really weird about this this book. Uh, it starts off at the beginning with, you know, this undershore drilling and something leaking out and all of these weird things going on. And then all of a sudden, it switches later on in the tale to this story about, I don't know, this creature that's been around for years. The since before mm. man arrived in, in, in Mexico. See, I never, and again, I didn't necessarily read the trade dress before I jumped into it. I never f- got the whole born of environmental bloody blue. You know, it, yeah, it, it doesn't it, come it, off it, that way. Not at all. Not at all. It just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I missed something. I must have too, but, uh, you know, I read the same issues that you did, and that that's what got out of it. Teenage Fishman! <laughs> oh, Teenage Fishman. Uh, Rodrigo, did you get the uh, impression that, I mean, it, it's kind of confusing. Did you get the impression that this creature was created out of environmental abuse? Or did you, were you like me, what I said, where it appears that the creature's been around for many, many years before the white man appeared? <laughs> It it was it was weird because at the beginning you see that tanker drop that stuff. Yeah. But then they make reference to like the villagers always having having had it there. So it, yeah, it was it, it is confusing. 
we get introduced to the characters, which are, I don't know, uh, I can't even remember their names. Uh, ones and They're all college-age kids, as, as many of these kind of uh, uh, stories begin. They're all on holiday break in Cancun, and yep. they're going to go out on a schooner for the day. So you've got the environmentalist uh, uh, scientist guy and his hot right. and attractive steamy girlfriend who doesn't want to— I remember is, that. Is what? Brooke. Oh, Brooke. Okay. And, and I believe Ethan is the guy, and his friend is uh, Ross. Yes, he is the uh, the party animal hip guy, and then he's the rich got kid. then he's got the uh, really hot uh, blonde girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And they all rent a boat for five hundred bucks, and it's got the grizzly old captain, ex former marine or something like that, and his second mate, a native of the lands. And they go out into the high season. They get pulled over by the Coast Guard, saying, "Hey, hey, be careful out there. Uh, we just uh, we're looking for a diver who disappeared a year ago." And things get a little weird after that. We talk about cinematic storytelling in comics and stories that feel like they're either designed to pitch a movie or originally written as a movie, right? Uh-huh. I am a huge fan of slasher movies, and this is a slasher movie. This is Nightmare on Elm Street on the high seas, essentially. Well, I mean, I don't even know if I'd go that far. This is this is kind of like you know, it's it's got elements of Friday the Thirteenth or I Spit on Your Grave. You know, yeah. it's it's a very I don't want to say classical, but I'm gonna I'm gonna and say you know, uh, almost iconic. For storytelling form, essentially, you get your characters. You have the sympathetic male lead, and you have his girlfriend, who may or may not be strong enough to take to deal with what you're going to deal with. I mean, it's it's straight out of that you know Nightmare on Elm Street playbook, right? Uh-huh. And so the captain and Ross and what's the other guy's name? Ethan. 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 They all go aboard this this trawler that's floating out in the middle of the ocean because I saw this little girl up there. And they're going up to investigate. They can't find anything. Then all of a sudden, the man from uh, I Saw What You Did Last Summer jumps out and starts stabbing everybody. <laughs> I, mean, this I didn't get that. <laughs> he's dressed in the old rain slicker, and he's got this big old spiky thing. And he just starts hacking the crap out of everybody. Ethan gets, uh, I guess he gets uh, locked into some, uh, did you take that as ice? All these dead bodies covered in ice? Mm-hmm. And- I wasn't sure what to think of it. I thought it looked kind of organic. I thought for a while it might have been eggs. That's what I thought, too, except later in the story we do get to see this creature's eggs, which are more golden in color. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ross gets stabbed in the arm, and the captain gets all hacked up to bits. Right. And that pretty much concludes that first issue in the trade. In the second issue, uh, we're trying to escape. Of course, the two girls and the, the first mate are, tr- are still on the main ship. And right. Ross is trying to escape, but they're like, no, no, we can't leave Ethan behind. And uh, <laughs> Screw this, the captain. Yeah, this uh, Ethan starts to have this relationship with the little girl and trying to find out more about what's going on. And then we get to see the fish, fish monster as they're exploring the ship. This thing is creepy, creepy. Mm-hmm. There are elements of, uh, of the classical creature from the Black Lagoon. Yes. His design. But, I mean, overall, it's a pretty unique sort of uh, looking creature. It always looks disturbing. Yeah, And, I mean, there's the... always a fear if, with something like this that it might get into the, you know, the silly or the comic booky. 
like something that you could probably get, you know, Rick Baker or somebody to put together and have it be pretty oh, horrifying. Yeah. yeah, especially when the thing comes aboard the schooner and harpoons the uh, the first mate through the chest uh-huh. and leaves those two girls on the ship. Rodrigo, what'd you think of the look of this of this creature? Um, this hybrid I like the, between man and, and I thought fish. I thought the design was interesting. Um, in general, the I, I felt that the art for the book kind of left something to be desired. There were times where I did not know what was going on yeah i would agree especially especially the scene where the creature gets on the boat that's where things get a little weird because things are jumping back and forth and okay this is the next question that i have early on in the first issue when they're looking through the binoculars and they're seeing this creature getting ready to attack them they show well i guess it's i guess the panels are divided up i see that better now but it almost yeah. gives you the feeling that there's more than one creature that yeah. they're battling. Yes. That was what I thought as well. I thought there were multiple figures, and it took me a minute. There's also a moment where they're in the middle of the the middle of nowhere on the ocean, and she picks up her cell phone to call her boyfriend. Right. And my first thought is, where's the tower, do you suppose? <laughs> yeah. It's one of them fancy... But, uh, Cell phones. Fancy schmancy, yeah, the GSM phones that go off of satellites in space or something. There's but, also, I mean, well, there's a moment early on, too, where they, they meet this uh, other group of people that are out in the ocean who claim that they're working for National Geographic, and I'm really surprised that they were able to use the words National Geographic in mm-hmm. this book. Uh, these guys come back later as all hell is breaking loose, and they discover that these guys aren't the good guys from National Geographic but are, in fact, pirates who are searching for this derelict ship because it contains all sorts of treasure. So now the two girls on the ship got the crap both on the left side from the the fish monster, and now they got pirates to deal with. Yep. And again, I mean, straight out of that Friday the 13th playbook, um, Brooke, the girl who isn't sure what's going on, who seems you know like she's going to crack, is the one who really starts uh, under pressure showing you know herself to be more of a hero than the people we thought were going to be the heroes of the piece. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, she's the one who event- who essentially frees them from the pirates. She's the one who eventually comes to the thing and the thing and the thing. Well, isn't that kind of, and Rodrigo, you more the film studies guy, isn't that kind of the, the thing that we see in a lot of the horror slasher films where it's not Ethan or Ross or the captain or, or whoever that is the central character. It's really the, the, the female character who is generally helpless, who has to overcome her fears in order to defeat the monster and, and move on. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of that's a big part of it. I mean, you look at um, Friday the 13th, you know, the, 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 the character, you know, I know what you did last summer. A lot of those have a central female character because that's that's what generates the most tension. You know, you have this very big, strong, awful man and this small defenseless girl that's like the 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 biggest uh the biggest disconnect the most amount of tension you can have and then you have her you know sort of lash back and eventually get the upper hand cuz if it's right. you know two big strapping guys then it's not a horror movie it's dragon ball z right right and so you know what happens everybody gets killed it's down to brook and the little girl and ethan everybody else is wiped out from this monster they burn the thing alive. They think that they're safe. And then it always what happens in a horror movie. You're a never safe. A cat jumps through the window. You're never oh. safe because not only does the creature return to the ship, but they discover that one of its eggs is hatching and is also on the ship too. And no. 
Poor Ethan gets bites it. Brooke and the little girl end up floating out in the middle of the ocean after the creature destroys the ship. And it's one bloody thing after another. Little elements of alien thrown in there. Yeah. Uh, they eventually get rescued. And there's still another dream flashback bit. And I, I you, and again, just like any horror movie, this is really, this is play by the book genre stuff. I mean, this okay. is, I mean, everything that you expect. She wakes up, she's like, oh my goodness, this last little jumpy scare that I had was a dream until we see this thing of the eggs down in the ocean and all the little creatures cracking out of the eggs going, hey kids, we'll be back for the sequel. Glub, 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 glub. I'm Satan. I'll be here later in the picture. That's kind of the general gist of the story. I mean, it's if you've seen any of these movies that we're referencing, you've seen uh, this story, except this is told in a different way. It's aliens, but set on a ship. It's Friday the 13th, but instead of Freddy Krueger, it's this very disgusting cannibalistic fish-man monster hybrid. Hybrid uh, there. Hybrid. What are, what are your general <laughs> thoughts? So, Rodrigo, you already commented on the art. I, I, too, say that there are points in the story where the art is good. But then there are parts where I'm just like, I have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Did you have yeah. any other things that you liked or disliked about this about this series? What I what I did like, although it, it seemed like a bit of a stretch, but I, I like the concept is that the, the monster fishes for people. Yes. Like the reason why it has treasure and the reason why it kept the little girl alive is because it's discovered that certain things draw people to him so that he can then eat them. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a good concept that it made sense for him. Cause you know, for the first, ever since you met the little girl, you're like, why would the monster not eat her? And then, you know, it, it all makes sense at the end. She's got rabies. That's why. Yeah. She's... The monster is actually allergic to little girls. <laughs> the monster hates cooties. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, what did you like? Let's focus on the likes about this right now. What did you like about the series? There were a couple of things that really stuck with me. And uh, one of the things is a major problem that I have in comic books. When they tell you how beautiful a character is right. and the art doesn't translate. Right. Um, when Ethan's girlfriend Carrie shows up and people keep making remarks about how hot she is and how good she looks in her bikini, you can see it and you believe it. The faces stay on model from panel to panel. So yes. from the first frame to the last, and I say frame, Again, I mean, for the first panel to the last, you know who's who. The, the storytelling in terms of what goes on in maybe the wide shots or the construction of the pages mm -hmm. occasionally falls short. But I look at it, you know, that may be a question more of experience, a question of craft, you know, of, of actual structure. But overall, the art is really nicely done. It's very, I mean, he handles the... The, the machine aspect of the abandoned trawler. Mm -hmm. And he handles, you know, things like a, a girl in her bikini. You know, at the beginning, they're in a hotel room. And you know it's a hotel room. It feels like a hotel room, you know? Right, right. There are really good things going on with the art. As much as the story felt familiar, mm -hmm. it felt familiar for non-comic book reasons. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like there's a lot of talk about how comic books have become essentially all superheroes. And to some degree, we're willing to embrace anything that's not a genre piece mm -hmm. or not, not a comic book superhero genre piece and say, well, this is different, so it must be good. Here, even though bits and pieces of it, in fact, large chunks of it, 
are reminiscent of other media or other forms of storytelling, you know, the slasher movie, the horror film, whatever it is you're dealing with, it's done in a manner that doesn't make me think I'm not predicting what's going to happen. I'm not saying, okay, here comes this. Right. Afterwards, I go, hey, that reminds me of, or, you know, that's straight out of the Friday the 13th playbook, or mm-hmm. that, you know, that's an aliens riff right there. After the fact, you look at it, you look back, and it feels more like, you know, it, it feels like a reference, an homage, rather than, hey, we stole this from Friday the 13th, and we stole mm-hmm. this from here. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously some care put into it. Mm-hmm. The characters are set up in a manner to where you know who's likable and who's not. Right. And there's, you know, it's it's done very well. It's done in shorthand. You know, Ethan is the you know the nice guy. Ethan is the the guy who's always very trustworthy and straightforward. And then, of course, his friend Ross is the the you know the drunken rich frat boy who gets yeah, away with whatever he wants. And yeah. I mean, the characters are done really deftly. There's not a whole lot of ambiguity. Honestly, of the things that we've reviewed, this is probably one of my favorite pieces that we've done. Really? Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I like it a lot. I liked it from the standpoint of, and again, Studio 407, there's probably a reason why it's called Studio is their name. Uh, This is a pitch for a movie. And I think that in light of what we've seen with Hostel and the latest Saw movies that keep going on and on and on and on, uh, you know, this is a different take on a monster movie that I think people could get behind. And I think that people would enjoy seeing it as a movie. And so I think that this is a great pitch for a movie. I'm not a fan of Hostel or the – I saw the first Saw movie and thought it was really good. Not a big fan of the rest of them because then it just gets into this gore and, and slash. So I'm not a big fan of seeing people's intestines sprawled out on the deck uh, or graphic depictions of a man getting harpooned through the chest. Um, so that to me is, is, is what I don't like about it. But as far as the story goes, I mean, it's, as we said, it is somewhat predictable, but it's done in a way that keeps it interesting and makes me wanting to keep reading through the end. Now, that being said, what didn't we like about the series? Rodrigo? Um, well, I'll briefly go back to the art. I I feel that, I mean, it, I don't think the art was bad. I feel that there were times when the artist was kind of biting off more than he could chew. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think basically that's what it is. There were times where there was a lot of stuff going on, or especially when there was, like, when the 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 image was dark and it was supposed to be dark, that right. it was kind of ambiguous as to what was happening. Mm-hmm. That said, you know, there was really nothing too bad about the art. Uh, I don't, I didn't have a problem with, you know, being like, oh, that's kind of like Friday the 13th. I think they, they put that together well, but... I don't know. I just kind of I didn't feel for the characters all that much. I thought that they were maybe maybe that you know that strength was also kind of a weakness in that these were kind of stock characters. Mm-hmm. Like you could take these characters out and insert them in any other monster movie and it would basically be the same. Right. Um so you know, I didn't I didn't feel that the characters had all that much depth to them. Mhm. Uh you said depth. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> Matthew book. I think my major complaints are, as they often are with a book like this, 3D, glow-in-the-dark, gradient, uh, happy-dappy coloring. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it works on the fish man who's supposed to look greasy and fluorescent and undersea, but there comes a point where uh, the the early sequence with the diver, you sit and 
I mean, you're looking at the diver and they've got, you know, the gradient on his collar and they've got the big lens flare and the lighting effects to show how shiny his suit is underwater. And then it's against this flat colored black background. It's, you know, the lighting effects um, actually work to their advantage. There's a point where we're in the hold of the ship where Ethan is meeting the little girl and they've done, you know, a dramatic lighting effect here and there, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. But overall, the coloring has the kind of, you know, the the really, really overly garish. Yeah. The, the coloring, you know, it, it has my standard complaint that everyone looks kind of greasy and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, overcolored. It's not as dramatic as it could have been. Yeah. And then there's also the fact that I am a fan of the slasher film genre in a classical sense. I am a fan of, you know, the trampy, you know, the terrible movies. And I know that, you know, Kevin Bacon was in the first Friday the 13th movie. And uh, right. Johnny Depp was in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, you look at those movies for what they are. If you look at them from the perspective of what they do, this comic emulates them. Right. But a lot of the immediacy of the slasher film genre is taken away because it's lines on paper. Mm -hmm. No matter how well they choreograph the moment where the creature jumps out, it doesn't have that visceral sort of, oh, my God, a creature jumping out at me. Or there is a moment where we have the the pure cat through the window scare at the end where – the the monster comes and jumps up and kills her and oh it's a dream sequence right because because it's drawn it have the immediacy and I didn't feel like this was an overly gory moment when the captain was harpooned because it was drawn right or there right. you know you know there are worse moments in the Marvel Zombies three oh where yeah you have yeah. zombie Morbius eating people on panel but yeah. I didn't, you know, the to me, if you're really looking at a slasher film, at a splatter film, that gore is part of the shorthand. Mm-hmm. And in a comic setting, the gore doesn't translate as well. It's kind of like, you know, I, I, I will say this. This is kind of the metaphor that sticks in my head. If you were blind and you wanted to play Guitar Hero, there's a lot of context that you have to get past first in order to do it. You certainly could. Yeah. You could do it all on audio cues, but there's a visual aspect there that isn't present. And it's kind of like that. There's an aspect of the slasher movie that can't be translated into comic terms, no matter who the artist is, mm-hmm. no matter how good mm-hmm. the artist is. It's going to be missing it because a representation, no matter how realistic of a person, is not the same as an actor, living, breathing, flesh person, seemingly being, you know, attacked, chopped up, hurt, right, whatever. Right, 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 right. Endangered think, is probably, probably the best phrase. I, I think my biggest problem with the, with the trade is the action sequences were really hard to follow. Uh, I mean, not in that, oh, I understand that the girl is running past the dead body that we saw five frames before, but just the fact that some of the shot selection and some of the, again, probably like you, Matthew, the lighting and coloring makes it so murky that we really can't tell what's what's going on. Did you just say mise-en-scene? I did. Because <laughs> I shall have to ask you to step outside. <laughs> Dude, I 
I am still paying so much money to Northwestern just so I can say stuff like Mise-en-Scene. <laughs> I know. You say Mise-en-Scene and you're like, it took, I learned, it took me like $1,000. <laughs> it's like I say my $10,000 phrases in Spanish. Oh, so speaking I, of I, Spanish. Speaking of Spanish, Rodrigo, how was the Spanish done in this issue? It was almost perfect. There was one mistake, and I can't recall exactly what it is. Okay. But there was one. Like, they were going, they were doing real well, and then all of a sudden they just, it was just something simple, something that was clearly just a complete literal translation from English. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't, you know, it didn't enervate me too much because right. they weren't, they, a lot of the time what bothers me is that they're using Spanish or any other language to sort of show that, a particular character is cool and knows things and stuff. Right. And then when it's wrong, it makes him look like an idiot. Um, this was just kind of incidental Spanish because okay. no you know people around there were Mexican. They didn't have they did the name you know Cancun. They said as the translation means the party city or whatever. <laughs> uh, they didn't have anything like the the island of the fish demon or anything, and they tried to translate into the, into Spanish or anything. Uh, there was. Well, the the stuff like you know the the fish demon and stuff like that that was that was well translated and okay. and it, it was it really was just something like somebody says excuse me and mm-hmm. it's like straight up like excuse me which in you know in Spanish is not a phrase right. I I forget exactly what it was okay. I'd have to right. back up so what then are our final thoughts on this are you saying pass on it give it a go or is it a must have read uh, for our listeners Matthew. Que lástima, son dos mujeres en la cocina. <laughs> you want to go to that the casino and get cost, drunk? That phrase cost me $4,000. Um, nice. I would have to say that this book is really a catch, and if you can hook it, oh, no. it's you should worth, dive right in. And... You should. It's worth <laughs> reeling in a copy because... Ow. I have to say, I like it. And and a lot of times when it's a non-superhero book, I, I'm not that guy, but I am enough to the point where if it's a non-superhero book and it's in a genre that is, you know, unfamiliar or familiar, overly familiar from another, you know, another uh, medium, I'm a little leery of it. You know, I don't like TV adaptations because I spend too much time going, why doesn't this look like Jonathan Frakes? Right. You know, generally speaking. But this is a well-done chunk of storytelling. I like it for all of the bits and pieces of it that are familiar. They're familiar in in good ways. I would Mm -hmm. say definitely it's worth picking up. I like it a lot, and I like the way the ending plays out. There's kind of a fatalism to it, but it's it's a good kind of fatalism. Yeah. Yeah, and I like—I mean, I really like the art. I feel like the the problems with the storytelling are, like I said, more structural. Minor, but the art overall are, is really well done. I mean, the the fish monster is well done. The female characters, which is one of the hardest things to do, the female characters manage to maintain realism while being attractive female characters. But then, you know, when you're being chased around by a fish man and you're covered in blood, you're not going to look sexy. But it's still the same character, even though she's being chased around by a fisherman and covered in blood. And I like that. They didn't go too far one way or the other to make her too sexy at certain parts or too disgusting at others. It's obviously the same character, mm-hmm. the same quote-unquote air quote <laughs> actress from scene to scene. Yeah. Mm. So Matthew loves it. Rodrigo, what did you think? 
Um, I would actually say pass on it. Um, I, there's nothing. I don't. I don't feel that there's anything wrong with it. But I feel that there's a handful of things that it set out to accomplish, and fell just short of a lot of them. I think the art um, doesn't quite accomplish what it sets out to do. I feel the pacing doesn't quite accomplish what it sets out to do. And I feel you know the the story because because of those things, the story doesn't at the end leave you with that kind of scary catharsis of man. I am never going back to Cancun kind of thing. You know, it, at, at the end, you don't feel like you watch Shark Week, which is what it wants. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to say, you know, I, I would actually pass on it. It was not not terribly impressive to me. I am right in the middle of the road because there are parts of it that I really enjoyed. There are parts of it I could, you know, pass on. Uh, but I'm going to say give it a go. I mean, uh, it doesn't hurt to try something new and different. And I think there's a large group of people out there who enjoy this kind of story that are really going to dig it. Uh, if you're not into the slasher fi- flick horror film monster genre movie, then don't pick it up. Uh, but I think there's certainly a place for it, and I, and I hope that it does sell well in the trade. I say give it a go. I mean, what are you going to be out, 12 bucks? I mean, give it a give it another year, and that's what Marvel will be charging for its for its single <laughs> issues. So, I mean, going out and getting this, this, uh, this book hybrid, the trade paperback from Studio 407, is going to be an enjoyable read for a, for an hour or so, or however long it takes you to read. I think it took me about an hour to read through four issues uh, a piece. So, all right, everybody. Next week on the show, we will be discussing Hush. We're going to dive back into DC Comics. Oh, I heard a call of my name now. We'll be talking about. Please don't sue us. Yeah, uh, we'll be talking about uh, Bruce Wayne's cherished ch- cherished childhood friend and uh, somebody who's trying to off the Batman. That's uh, next week on Hush in our trade paperback review. Uh, we do want comments on this. We'll have a section up on Majorspoilers.com for that. And of course, you can send us a feedback feedback for anything, whether it be a uh, suggestion or a question, or a comment, or ideas for future shows like people sent in, all you have to do is drop us a line at podcast at Majorspoilers.com, or give us a call at the uh, Major Spoilers line at uh, 785-727-1939. Uh, you can friend us over at MySpace at MySpace.com slash Spoilers. You can find each of us individually up on Facebook if you want to do that search. And hey, thanks everybody for putting up all those wonderful, wonderful comments up on iTunes and Podcast Alley. So until next time, we're here because we know that you love comics and we do too and we'll see you next time. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Think about a better way If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler
start raving rich like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read up on all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun bee in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Wow, 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 wow! What a major spoiler! I was, I was reading this book. This book is called Hybrid, and it had this big scary fish man in it. It was, it was really disturbing because he was big and scary, and he tried to eat people. Well, he and he did eat point, people. Did you not see that ate, part where he swallowed that one guy whole? My mama took those pages out of the book. Really? How come so, your mom would do that? Well, I don't know. Every time we watch Old Yellow, she stops it right when everybody's happy. And I'm thinking, isn't the movie longer than this? And she's like, no. I bet you don't get very far into Bambi either. No, we get it right from the point where he runs and runs and plays in the forest. And then it's over. It's like seven minutes long. <laughs> what it's other? Besides this this hybrid book that you're reading, what other things? What do you think of this Buffy the Vampire Slayer thing? Isn't she a lesbian? I don't know. I, I don't think so. She kind of flip-flops back and forth. And how do you know what a lesbian is anyway? They're people from Lebanon, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we call those Lebanese uh, people there. Lebanese. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope someday I meet a lesbian from Lebanon so I can ask her if she's a Lebanese. <laughs> <laughs> and thus endeth the show. <laughs>